Hello, I'm Missionary Evangelist Lawrence Register, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth program. Now, you can hear this message today and others on my podcast at Spotify and Podcasters. Let's get right into the message entitled Salt, Leaven, and Bread. Matthew 13, 33, the scripture tells us, Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. I want to talk about the subject this evening for a little while of salt and leaven in the scriptures. First, I want us to return to the beginning of the church age, back to when our Lord Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit descended. Now, the church on the day of Pentecost was born in one of Jerusalem's upper rooms. Luke tells us in chapter 16 of verse 16 of his gospel, he reminds us that the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Now, it is the church age that is in view. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, work being done. He has passed off the scene according to as he said he would, in John chapter 3, verse 30. Now, of all the groups in the Bible, the church is in a class all its own. God himself chose the church to be in Christ, to be the first ones to preach the gospel, the gospel which is the good news that God has made a way of escape for man concerning the fall and the the eternal punishment. There was a time, even in my lifetime, that the church was the greatest influence on the face of the earth. This mystical body of Christ, the church, and by mystical I do not mean rituals, ceremonies, sacraments, washings, and such like as taught by Roman Catholicism, but in union with Christ as a spiritual thing. This mystical union of Christ and his body, the church, is neither apparent to the human senses, nor is it obvious to the human intellect. For Jesus said in in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. But he said, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The church is a spiritual entity, but its work and results are clearly seen around us in a world against the forces of evil that is at work in the lives of men. The mystical work of regeneration, according to John 3.31, or simply put, the impartation of divine life that that one receives when they are born again. And the work of regeneration is done in men. What is done in man is done to their souls and is solely the work of the Holy Spirit alone. We will say more about the church in a few minutes. Now let us go back a little further in time to where Jesus was with the disciples and took a look and take a look at some scriptures. Now Matthew 16, beginning our reading at verse 5 says, And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. When Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember, the five loaves of five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? 
neither seven loaves of 4,000, how many baskets you took up. Now it is that you do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread, that ye should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples, and he's referring to the teaching of false doctrine. You see, leaven in the word of God always represents sin and that which is false. There is no exceptions. And we need to clearly understand that in that important principle before we get any further into this message. We have the first record of leaven mentioned in Exodus chapter 12 in verse 15. That night that Israel left Egypt, they were commanded to get all the leaven out of their houses on the penalty of being cut off. Let me stop here for a minute and say something that I believe is important and what is wrong with many in the church world today. You see, it was just as important to God for the Hebrews to get the leaven out of the house as it was to apply the blood to the doorposts. They are inseparable issues. It says in verse 18 and 19 of Exodus 12, if they don't, that person shall be cut off. Now, the word cut off <clears throat> is a compound word in which both parts have the same meaning in the Hebrew. Whether if you use it cut or off, it means the same thing. And in the Hebrew, it means to be destroyed or to perish. It appears from this that for the blood to protect those behind the door, that God says that there had better not be an eleven behind that door also. You see, it is the command of God that is the predicate here. The blood and the leaven are secondary to the content. The whole command of, command of God has to be obeyed, and that was apply the blood and get the leaven out of the house. Now, I believe that this truth is worth pondering when it comes to one's eternal soul. Many like to sing and talk about the need of having the blood applied to the doorpost, but will bow up their necks the minute you speak of getting the leaven out of their houses. That leaven which speaks of sins, it speaks of corruptions that they do not want to give up. There was a time in the church that when people got saved that they were told they had to lay that sin down and either come clean or stay away dirty, they preached to us. They expected their members to live a separate life yet today and, un and, and live that life unto God. Yet today, no one ever preaches about the need of getting the leaven out of their lives. The consensus of most people is that sin and morality are no longer an important issue for church membership today. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was celebrated to remind them of their release from Egypt since captivity and of their going out or deliverance from bondage. And the removing of the leaven signified release from that bondage and celebrating the feast every year was to remind them of that. In Exodus 12 and 17, it says, 
and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day that I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. But they did not fully realize that deliverance until 40 years later when they came out of the wilderness and Joshua had brought them to Gilgal where, when they had, where they had crossed over into the promised land. Joshua chapter 4 verse 9 says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. They had crossed the river, they had gone to Gilgal, and they were making their first camp into the promised land. Then in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. When the feet of those priests of God, bearing the great ark of the covenant upon their shoulders, touched those Jordan rivers of water and led the people across on dry ground to the other side, all those years of reproach of being in bondage in Israel was washed away. Wherefore, the name of the place, the scripture said, is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day at Eve in the plain of Jericho. It was then that they realized that their deliverance from Egypt was now secure. Because at Gilgal, God rolled Egypt's bondage, which was the reproach from off of them. And until we get the leaven out of our lives, we will always be in bondage to sin and the devil. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 says that sin is a reproach to any people. The word reproach is a shame. It's a disgrace. Why anyone wants to live in sin is a shame. And to the Christian, sin is a type of bondage and reproach. And we have by the blood of Jesus Christ been set free from that bondage. Who wants to live any longer under the reproach of, 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 of that bondage all their life? Paul said in Romans 8 and 2, call it the law, he called it the law of sin and death. And he says in that same verse that Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And in Romans 6 and 6, he went on to say, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. <clears throat> now this is not something future, as some suppose and some teach, but it is present for the believer right now. The seven-day feast of unleavened bread was celebrated at the same time as the Passover, and technically they are two separate feasts, yet many of the Jews thought of them as one. But most never think about this. No song has ever been written about unleavened bread. Exodus 12, 15, and 17 says, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your house. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, here it is again, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. 
God also forbade the use of leaven in their sacrifices. In Exodus 34, 25, the word says, Thou shalt not offer the blood of thy sacrifice with leaven. And in Leviticus 2.11, no, no meat offering which you shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven or any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. We know why no leaven was to be used with the sacrifices because leaven is an emblem of corruption. It comes from corruption and through the corruption process, leaven by fermentation leads to putrefaction and was used by God as a type of false teaching and sin. And the, and the ceremony of the worship God, a worship of God must not be corrupted. But, but it says also no honey. Why? Well, that question is twofold. One, the sweetness. You see, honey is very sweet. The sacrifice was not to be looked on as a sweet thing, but a bitter thing. You see, suffering in death is not sweet, and it typified Christ's death on the cross. The cross is not sweet. It is a place of suffering, a place of death. It is a cursed thing. Galatians 3.13, Paul tells us, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ took upon him the curse as he hung on that tree. And it was not to be offered with honey. It wasn't a sweet thing. Secondly, it represents the natural. See, honey is representative of the carnal, of the flesh, and of the work of salvation's atonement. This work had no mark of flesh of mankind on it. Christ died alone without help from anyone. <clears throat> now before you say, I know where God allowed some leaven, look with me, if you will, at Amos chapter 4. Starting here at verse 1 and going to verse 6. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. This was the condition that Israel was in in that day. They were totally corrupted. And they were likened here, God is calling them cows. And the reason is, is because he's saying, you are ready for the slaughter. The kind, the word kind in the Bible, K-I-N-E, is used to represent a herd of cattle. Now the Lord God had sworn by, now going to verse number two, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness that lo, the day shall come upon you and he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. God was telling Israel the day's coming that they're going to be, they're going to be taken in exile. You see, certain pagan nations, when they took captives, would lead their captives back to their land with iron rings in their lips. How would you like to have a chain on an iron, on a, on an iron ring and that ring clipped through your lip and you'd be dragging back to wherever that empire was from. And, and, and there were some that would use hooks in their noses. They didn't put them on a nice bus, you know, and, and take them back across the border or take them back to where they came from. But they would put uh, uh, iron rings in their lips and hooks in their noses. Now we have an illustration of this in 
Isaiah 37 and 29 that says, Because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into my ears, therefore will I put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou goest. What God is saying, he's going to use the pagan army, the Assyrians, and they're going to come and they're going to put God's hooks in Israel's nose. They're going to put God's bridle on their lips. And God says they're going to turn you back by the way and take you back to the, to, to, uh, to the land that that's conquered you. God is speaking now here to Sennacherib, king of Syria, that was coming against Hezekiah, king of Judah. This scripture is twofold here. One, it refers to what, what Sennacherib is going to do to, to Israel. And at the same time, what God says that he's going to do to Sennacherib, king of Assyria, that was coming against Hezekiah, king of Judah. It wasn't time yet for the Israelites to be carried into bondage. But when it would be that God would use this king to take them back. In verse 3 it says, And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. You see, in single file, he said you're going to go back out of the breaches, the same breaches that the enemy made when they broke down your wall and came in here and got you. He likes in single file like cows, they're going to take you out of those same openings, lead you single file through those same cracks that they broke through to get to you. And then he goes on to say, come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal. Multiply transgressions and bring your sacrifices. Every morning you're tithe after three years. Now this appears like God is contradicting himself, but, but I want to show you in just a moment, we're going to get to the leaven and the sacrifice, but God was chiding them here. Of course it is not okay with God to sin. It is not okay to come to Bethel and to transgress. It's not okay to multiply your transgressions and bring your sacrifices. It's not okay to do this. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 29 through 32, this is what the Lord was making reference to. You see, in Bethel, King Jeroboam had erected a golden calf and put his own priest, the basest and lowest of people that he could find, over over that the religious service, and he built an altar there. And God said, come to Bethel and transgress. Bring your, multiply your transgressions here at this altar that Jeroboam has made for you. And he says, and in Gilgal. For you see, in Gilgal, he erected a great idolatrous temple. And it was at this same Gilgal that long ago Israel had rejected God as being king over them when they wanted the prophet Samuel to give them a king like all the rest of the nations. So we see in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 2, it is recorded. You see, God has put up with a lot out of this nation of Israel. All the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 2, he's put up with them. And it is recorded here, God is saying to Samuel, because Samuel was disappointed that the people wanted a king. He, he, he did not want them to have a king. He, God was going to be their king. But God said to Samuel, go ahead and give them what they want. 
For they have not rejected me, thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And it was said by the prophet Hosea in chapter 9, verse 15, that God said, all of their wickedness is in Gilgal. It started there. And he said, for there I hated them. God hated them and their idolatry in Gilgal. Then we come down to verse 5. I'm showing you the irony here that's in this. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now, I want you, to, I want you in verse 5 to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He says, then with 11, the prophet did. Now, it's, it seems like God is saying to them, offer your sacrifice of thanksgiving, but you can do that with 11 here now. And he said, go ahead and proclaim and publish the free offerings for this is like you. In other words, he said, go ahead and do it. This is what pleases you. You do what you want to anyway. It's just like you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. God uses the word leaven here to mock Israel. For God is saying to them, you like to mix your idols with my worship. It's like leaven in the three measures of meal. Israel would go past the temple of Jehovah on their way to sacrifice their children to the pagan fire god Moloch. And then on their way back, they would stop at the house. This is how corrupt they had become. This is how, how, how foolish and idolatrous they would become. On their way back from throwing their live children into the fire and sacrifice to the god Moloch. And then they come back by the temple of God, they would stop at the house of God, go in and offer sacrifice to God with those same sin-stained hands of idolatry. That is a lot like people today. They go to this world and worship at the feet of the God of pleasure and entertainment. Then go to church on Sunday and tip their hats to God and go home feeling justified. God hates a mixture, and Israel's greatest sin was a mixture, and the church's greatest sin today in America is a mixture. At times, God would send judgment upon Israel to get their attention. In verse 6, and also, he said, I've given you cleanness of teeth. That's hunger. All your city, in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. Ye, yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God sent judgment after judgment after judgment, yet he said, you have not returned unto me. After all this, they still rejected God's call to repentance over their idolatry. Now, all of these scriptures in Amos chapter 4 were spoken to Israel in divine irony. God was saying one thing while meaning something else. This was God through the prophet Amos warning them that they were about to go into captivity and what it was going to be like. Back to our text in Matthew 13, 33. We have the parable of the leaven. It is said that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal some leaven until the whole lot was leavened. <clears throat> Notice it said she hid. You see, false is always deceptive. It'll, it, it will hide. It will not come out in the full light, but truth is to be proclaimed out in the open. Paul, when he was addressing King Agrippa, telling him about the heavenly vision and his call and seeing Christ he, and, and with the gospel, he said to King Agrippa, 
This thing was not done in a corner in Acts 26, 26. False teachings enslaved men's souls. But Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Look at how the whole world today is filled with liars. These liars that enslave, that these liars with their lies that enslave the minds of men with these lies every day. The only thing that will counter false teaching is truth. The word of God is the only thing that will take care of error. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 and 3, preach the word for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He said, Timothy, get the truth in them while you can. Preachers, get the truth into your congregation while you can. For the days are declining. He said, for the time will come when they will not have it. As long as the church was preaching truth, the pure word of God, then the church was able to do the work of God and wickedness and ungodliness and false teaching was kept at bay. But whenever the church became weak because of a mixture, then false doctrine and worldliness and sin came into the church and overcame it. We have only to look around us and to look back and to see this truth. Now the popular but yet false interpretation of this parable is that as some teach that the leaven represents the gospel and its power. The woman is the gospel preachers and through the preaching of the gospel, the whole world which is represented by the three measures of meal will be saved. That's the false interpretation. Now remember the key to this parable is that leaven is an emblem of corruption. It always stands for corruption. It is emblematic of corruption. And always represents sin and false teaching and false doctrine with no exceptions. Now the gospel is never typified by the emblem of that which is corrupt. So leaven typifies sin and false teaching which does corrupt. The, woman's is do the woman is doing something evil here, not good. And it is said she took. That means it was not a calling, it was not a ministry, as many like to loosely use the term today, but she took it by force. She did not receive it from God, she took it. Jesus was not giving a lesson on cooking here, but a warning about the corruption of false teachings. And the three measures of meal is not the world, but the pure, unadulterated word of God. And the whole world will not be saved as the false Unitarian Universalist Church of America so falsely proclaims in her doctrines. What Jesus is telling us in this parable is that the three measures of meal represent the pure word of God. The woman is a type of false teachers and preachers that took that pure, unadulterated word of God and mixed it with false teaching until all was leavened or corrupted. This is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees Jesus is warning his disciples about. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, it sheds some light on this woman here in this peril and what she is like. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffered that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. She called herself a prophetess. 
calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, even some Baptists know better than this. John MacArthur, a well-known Baptist preacher, is even rebuking the modern-day self-proclaimed prophetess Beth Moore of the same denomination of his for taking on the role of a man contrary to the Word of God. Let's look at the woman here. Under my study, the seven causes of the Andalusian apostasy, one of them was the undue preeminence, preeminence of women. And that is not only in the church, but in the whole of society. Today, we have more women pushing false teachings in places of higher learning and higher education and government with thousands of followers than ever before. I heard Brother Clendenin say one time about a woman said she'd take care of daddy. He said after a Sunday morning service there in Beaumont, a woman come up to the front and wanted to talk to him. She had some questions that she wanted to ask Brother Clendenin. And while they were talking, he said they two little boys would come outside and they'd, they'd keep running up to their mama. And it, it seemed like those boys wanted to do something, but outside their daddy was telling them, no, we're not going to do it. And they would run back inside and grab a hold of their mama and interrupt Brother, Brother Clinton while he was talking. And, and they would say, uh, but daddy said, we, we can't do that. Daddy said, we can't go there. And Brother Clinton said, she looked down at the boys and said, go on, it's all right. I'll take care of daddy. You see, Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy past. Let us look at the bread for a moment. The world out there does not like unleavened bread. It doesn't make good pastries, cakes, and pies, and wonderful loaves of bread. They don't like it. They like bread with leaven in it, which causes it to rise and makes it soft. It's easy to chew, easier to swallow. It's easy on the palate. They don't like the taste of unleavened bread, nor like to chew unleavened bread. It is not as easy to digest. That's why the world can't receive the word of God, and neither can the carnal man. In Hebrews chapter 5, or the carnal Christian, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12, 13, and 14, it says, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. He said, he said there to the Hebrews, he said, you've been in this thing long enough, you are to be a teacher. And you still have to come here and sit in the class and be taught. You have to continue to be taught in what? Again, the first principles of the oracles of God. You haven't got out of the first grade. He said, you still have to be taught over and over the very first principles of the Word of God. He said, and you're become such as have need of milk, not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The world cannot handle true preaching, and neither can the carnal Christian. You have to be a mature Christian to handle the doctrine of the Word of God. I want us to notice something here about the title of my message, Salt, Leaven, and Bread. 
You see, I discovered by researching and those that are bakers that hear this will bear me out. They know something about what I'm talking about. Then that's how to bake bread. First, you take and you mix the water in with the dough in the little pan. And while you're mixing it, you add salt. Then you put in the leaven or yeast and you mix them all together. When you've got them all mixed together, then you take the lump of dough and put it in a warm place and wait for it to rise. Now it takes time for it to rise, but, but do not forget it. Pay attention. For while you're not looking, it'll rise. It'll rise all over the place. Believe me, it can get away from you if you do not keep an eye on it. It's, that's the way sin is. If you don't keep an eye on it, it'll get away from you in your life. Matthew 13, 25 is talking about the parable of the wheat and tares. In verse 20, and in verse 25, it said, And while men slept or was preoccupied with other things, the Bible is constantly warning us Christians that are waiting for the coming of the Lord. It's constantly warning us to be awake. Don't go to sleep. Pay attention. Be ready for you. Know not when the Lord may return. Now there is a spiritual truth here that I want you to see. Only a person that knows how to bake a loaf of bread knows how important it is to get the right amount of salt. Now you ladies out there know what I'm talking about. I found it quite interesting, something about the salt, you see. If you do not have enough salt in the mix, it will cause the leaven to overact and speed up the process of the leaven and spoil the bread. If you get too much salt, you will impede the progress of the leaven. In other words, if you, if you don't get enough, the leaven is going to, it's going to uh, uh, spoil the process and spoil the bread. If you get too much salt, you're going to impede the progress of the leaven and maybe even stop it altogether. Now, I want you to hold that thought for a moment for there's amazing spiritual truth for us to see. And for that, you need to take your mind off of the bread and off of this lesson about baking bread for a moment. Remember, the disciples missed the truth of Christ's teaching because they had their mind on the natural. Our Lord said in Matthew 5, 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, it's good for nothing. What did he mean salt of the earth? And why did he not say salt of the world? or salt of the cosmos, because the believer has been ordered by the Lord to stay out of the world. That is Satan's system. We are to flee from the world. We are not the salt of the world. We're the salt of the earth. The Bible has a built-in dictionary. There are four different Greek words for earth in the New Testament. The one in our text here in Matthew 13, is it's the word soil. It also can refer to people and animals. And that's interesting uh, because we, we come from the dust of the earth. The animals come from the earth. So we're all part of the soil. That's our original matter. In 2 Timothy 2 and 20, it means terracotta or an earthen vessel. 
In Luke 21, 26, it means land occupied by world empires. In Philippians 2.10, it means subterranean world of departed spirits. Now, all the rest of the 223 times uh, that earth is found in the New Testament, they have the same meaning as Matthew 5.13 and refers to the soil. Now, the word salt in Matthew 5.13 in the Greek means prudence. The word prudence in the scripture means care, caution, good judgment, clear foresight, the ability to govern and discipline oneself, and the ability to lead right. Literally means to influence. These are all qualities of salt Christians. The true Christian is the salt of the earth. They are to preserve or influence things. As salt, one way or another, we're going to have an effect on the world and on those around us. The question that we should be asking ourselves is, are we salty enough? When there is plenty of salt of which the church is a type, when we're really salty, we're going to hinder the spreading of false doctrine. Now, I know that there are those that use the illustration that what does salt do? It makes you thirsty, makes you thirsty for the Word of God. That's true. But my point here is I want us to understand that if the church is salty, if it's where it belongs with God, it's going to hinder the spread of false doctrine. When the church was at the place it needed to be, it greatly hindered the spread of error during the times of the apostles. During the times of great outpourings of revival, morally the world was different, and the church was different morally. It was at those times that the salt of the earth, the true Christians were strong, that they impeded and almost stopped, <coughs> excuse me, the spread of false doctrine and worldliness. Our Lord is showing us by this parable of the leaven that the church as salt is losing its influence by mixing with the world. The church has been diluted. You see, when you dilute something, when you mix things, they are diluted from their original compound or matter. The chemistry name for salt is sodium chloride. It is readily water-soluble, so if the crude salt were exposed to condensation or rainwater, the sodium chloride would be dissolved and removed, and the salt can affect, lose its saltiness. If the church is mixed with the true and the false, it is diluted, and being diluted has become weak and no longer has the strength or potential to even combat, let alone stop the spread of false doctrine and worldliness. Those that are students of church history saw those times throughout history that when the church was either weak or strong, that it was in those times the world was either more sinful or less sinful in their acts. Now in the parable, when the woman put leaven into those three measures of meal, eventually the whole lump became leaven. Paul said in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven doesn't take a lot. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He said the whole lump, not just a quarter of the lump, not just half the lump, but total lump. The total lump is going to be leaven. It takes just a little false to get into a church and impede or even stop that church's progress for God. What the Lord is teaching us is that in these last days, the lump is going to become so leavened that the gospel preaching and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and of his apostles are going to be weakened and in many cases lost. The Jude tells us in his little book of Jude chapter 1 verse 3, for us to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. Why do we need to earnestly contend for it? Because you can lose it. The word contend in the Greek is the word agonize. That's what the word means. Earnestly agonize for the faith once delivered to the saints. It means to struggle for, to fight for, to fervently strive to hold on to it. It is literally likened to being in a conflict. If it is something that I cannot lose, why then, why then does the Greek so passionately admonish me to contend for that faith, to agonize for it? The true teaching of the church is going to be mixed with the false teaching, and that is going to reach a point where it cannot check the leaven of false doctrine anymore. And the only way to stop leaven, you ladies that bake bread know how to stop that leaven, put it in the oven. That's right, put it in the fire. And that end time judgment of God that we're about to enter into in this world is that judgment, that fire judgment of God is going to take care of the leaven of false doctrine. But until that time, the false doctrine of the world is going to take over and permeate the entire church. The reason that the parable came to such an abrupt end, it was only one short verse. And that is that Jesus is telling us here that the church will end abruptly with his return for it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that means abruptly at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, just before the Lord returns in these end times, we're going to experience more and more false doctrine and its influence. More attacks of Satan, not less. The Bible said in 2 Timothy 3, 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The world is going to get worse and worse until it becomes as it was in the days of Noah. Genesis 6 and 5 says, And God saw the wickedness. This is what we're going to become like just before the Lord comes back. This is where we're headed quickly. We're already a long way there. But he said that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continued. That's all that he thought about. Brother and sister today, man, we are living in that kind of world. That's our day. We saw that eventually man got so evil that the only remedy was judgment. And God destroyed them in the flood. But the next time it will be by fire. Since offsprings were the salt of the earth that preserved the idea of the true worship of God before the flood for hundreds of years. Genesis 4.26 says, And to Seth and to him also that was born the son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Jehovah is his name. This applied to Seth's line. While they were busy keeping alive the worship of Jehovah, God, wicked Cain's offspring was busy inventing evil. 
From Seth came Enoch who walked with God, Genesis 5, 24. And the Bible said in Genesis 6 and 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And later Noah's great-grandson Eber, from whom sprang Abraham and the Hebrews today. But generation by generation, the time came that Seth's line began to get their eyes on the Cainites, the ungodly offspring of that murderer Cain, 1 John 3, 2. If you look in Genesis 4, you will find that the Cainites were the ones who invented all the musical instruments, the arts, the weapons of war, of which we're still using today. They built all the cities. They were the first polygamists, the first eaters of meat before it was lawful by God to do. They had done all those seemingly wonderful earthly things with the help of Satan that we call this world system. They did all those things to try and lift the heavy weight of the curse from off their soul. You see, progress and the invention of material substance was fallen man's way of trying to palliate the curse and defy God's penal code. But after all the millennials of progress, men are still toiling under this same curse today. There are some lyrics to an old song called The Satisfied Mind. How many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money, I could do things my way. But little do they know that it's so hard to find one rich man in ten with a satisfied mind. Genesis 3, 17 through 18 said, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat of it. Then earn thy bread until you return to thus. Noah's father named him Noah, which meant comfort. Yet man, yet since that time, men are still crying out, comfort us. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 29, he called him Noah, saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toils of our hand because of the ground which God had cursed. But in time, Seth's descendants, they began to look at all the stuff that the Canaanites had invented. They began to walk with the Canaanites in their world. <clears throat> they forgot about the covenant with God. They coveted those same pleasures of that world and they lost their saltiness. And the true worship of Jehovah was almost lost. There came a time when there was only Noah and his family that worshiped the true God. Genesis 6 and 8 said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when the flood came, there were only eight souls saved on the ark out of millions of people that perished in that flood. Now as I come to conclusion, let me shake, our, shake us back into reality for just a moment. Our Lord said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The church we have seen over the years has become mixed with false doctrine, deluded by sin, and it's lust for pleasures and entertainment. That's all that many churches are, just a, a place of programs and entertainments. They become so much that, had, that the church has lost its saltiness today. <coughs> it's lost its purity, its ability to influence. <coughs> Excuse me, and it no longer has the power to stop the onslaughts of evil and wickedness that we see today. It was once full of the Holy Ghost, but now it is full of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Most of the churches today are looking for a new style, a new method, 
a new program or drama to try and get the world to look at them. Look here, don't you see me? I'm right here. World, don't you see my church? You see us? You go past us all the time. Don't you see me? Come and join our merrymaking. They say if we could only get some new decor for our sanctuary, paint our ceilings black, get some strobe lights and protect, protect, how do you say that word? Protechnics, prototechnics, I guess that's what it's called. Turn the lights down low. Put a praise team on an elevated stage with spotlights. Then we can draw a crowd like the big TV preachers do. Religion has become a big extravagant business and is very competitive. With congregations trying to outbid each other for the bodies of men, seeing who can draw the biggest numbers. Competing for as many of the population in the county they can get to attend their services. They even stand out front of their buildings on the side of the road and wave a banner at you as you drive by. I've seen this all over the country. I kid you not, it's a fad that's taking place. But while the churches are striving to fill their pews and coffers, the whole world is going to be completely submerged in false doctrine. And when the true church is gone and all that you have left is religion, you're going to see the full, full permeating of leaven with the introduction of the man of sin. In Revelations 4 and 1 through Revelations 18, in this space of the book of Revelations, the church is gone. Everything in between these is dealing with Israel and, and the lost Gentile world. And the church does not reappear in Scripture until Revelations chapter 19. But while the true church is still here, God is keeping sin and weakness from completely overtaking her and our world from becoming totally demon-possessed. Not so, not so much because of what the church is doing, but what God is doing for the church. Our Lord said, The gates of hell shall not prevail. The Holy Spirit came to build the church and to bring conviction on the world. When that office and work of the Holy Spirit is done, when this phase of God's plan is through, then the world will be totally under the control of this man of sin, the Antichrist. And he will come and set up his kingdom. In closing, let us remember the words of our Lord in Revelation 20, 22. In the back of the book, we see the very last two verses there. In the back of the book, Surely I come quickly. And the church says, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And alive for wealth and want, it will bind. But don't they know on the judgment day that gold and silver will melt away? I'd rather be. 
Red River. 